to grab your snacks and your drinks at the back and um, said, find a seat. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself around the table if you haven't already. And then um, it was funny because we were praying this morning. And um, if you don't know um, Jim Mast, he's a pretty awesome guy. You need to meet him. He's one of our elders. And he comes up and he's like, is this like the junior high health class today? And I said, no. So, <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that one out there. Okay, so what I'd like you to do around the um, table is I want you to talk about our culture and sexuality and how it has impacted the church, how you even have seen it impact maybe your experience in the church or anything. So I'm going to throw that table question out right now. Introduce yourself, and we're going to talk a little bit, and then we'll get started. So we're going to draw it back this morning. We welcome you. So Chris, we asked this question. We ask everyone to talk a little bit about their, um, around their table about how this topic of sexuality and our culture and how it has impacted the church. Sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We're having the sex talk this morning, and Joel's not here, and I'm up by around the stage. How did yeah, that, you got to give Joel a hard time. How did that yes, yes. Yeah. How did it, how does sexual, how has sexuality impacted the church? Oh my word. I think it's had a huge impact in a whole lot of different, uh, arenas of life from definition, depending on if you grew up in a, in a really liberal home or you grew up in a really uh, conservative home. If you grew up in a legalistic home, if you grew up in a really free home, you have all different types of definitions and understandings of what healthy sexuality is all about. Uh, how has it impacted the church? Well, we all come at it from different ideas and different angles. Uh, I think it's impacted the church because sometimes we've tied sexuality to self-worth, self-value. Uh, we've, uh, we've seen, obviously, the devastating approach uh, to how sexuality has played out in unhealthy ways in marriages and counseling. And uh, I think it's good to have this talk because we're taking a wide spectrum of people and a wide spectrum of ages, a wide spectrum of, of uh, conservative to, to, to non-conservative views on, on this and starting to have conversations. So these are important conversations. You may have grown up in a home uh, where sex was never talked about in, until you were married, and then they're like, okay, it's good. You're right? Isn't that kind of about just nod? If you, okay, yeah. Because <laughs> like, I think that was kind of the thing. Like, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad, sex is bad. Uh, sex is awesome. And, and then you're like, well, uh, how do we make that, that switch? And I think that has had a lot of impact on a lot of people, and we've seen a lot of... A lot of heartbreak over this topic, and so I'm yes. glad Steve's here to set yeah, it all straight. Yeah, and Steve's gonna, um, yeah, set it straight. <laughs> come on up, uh, come on up, Steve. We want to welcome. No pressure, Steve. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> you got 30 minutes to make it happen. <laughs> um, but one of the reasons, and this is why, and I hope you guys have gotten this throughout this time, is that this at home series isn't just to all come down here and have like this kumbaya moment. It's a moment to talk about subjects that we have to talk about, necessary discussion, so that we can be the disciples and disciplers of who God's called us to be. Because we're not here to just um, come here and gain information. We're actually coming here so that we can better live our lives and better reach people for Jesus. And can I remind us just before even Steve comes to share that these topics that we're talking about in these nine weeks, these aren't exhaustive. This is just scratching the surface. Steve, as, as much as I joke, he's not going to solve this today. Uh, we want to walk with people. We want to help them have a healthy view of what sexuality is. We want to walk with you. And so if these are things you're struggling with, we do want to talk about it. We do want to have a godly vision of, of sexuality and what that means and how that plays out. So uh, again, just as a reminder, we are scratching the surface of a larger topic. And so through the podcasts that come through the recording of this, uh, through conversations that you would like to have, we are here for you. Yes. So this morning, just like before, you can um, send in your questions and uh, Chris and I will come back up here and we'll have a question and answer time with Steve and a little bit of dialogue and discussion. But um, I just want to, um, to uh, pray for, um, Chris, will you pray for Steve this morning as we go into this whole thing? And um, I just ask that you go open um, ears, open heart, and open eyes to what God has for you. The Holy Spirit's here working, and I believe that he's going to speak through Steve. So pray for us, Chris. Awesome. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Steve and for, God, how you've taken his life, transformed it, God, and put him to the place he is today. God, I pray that you'd use him uh, to encourage us, challenge us, 
God, with your word and with uh, the, the truths of, of a healthy sexuality. God, my prayer is that uh, we would hear well what you desire for us to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much. Um, I, I know all of you just came in and sat down, but I'm going to ask everybody to stand back up for just a moment. I have a little exercise for you. Something I'd like you to do. I'd like you to assume a rather relaxed military-type stance. Feet together, hands to your sides, eyes looking straight ahead. I don't want you rigid, just a relaxed military-type stance. And then take the left foot, lift it up off the ground about four or five inches and keep it there. Keep it there. Okay, I got a couple of wobblers. Nobody's falling over, though. All right, you may be seated. I just wanted to make sure we started off on the right foot. <laughs> well, as you uh, already know, my name is Steve Etner. Um, I'm founder and president of what's called the Pure Man Ministry. I'm an author, national speaker, and purity coach, and I have the honor and privilege over the last 10, almost 11 years now, doing this full-time, traveling all over the nation, speaking on topics uh, such as this. And, uh, but the primary focus of our ministry is one-on-one -on -one counseling. I, I don't, in fact, I don't like calling it counseling. I, I coach. I come alongside of men, especially, who are struggling with the areas of, of sexual sin and sexual addiction. And I come alongside them and I coach them. And I just take them into the Word of God and show them how, how God is the solution. God is the answer. And I appreciate, Pastor Chris, making sure that you understood we're not going to solve the issue. In fact, uh, I'm not here to talk about the problem. I'm here to get you started on the solution. Um, I, I opened uh, in, in my introduction up on the platform this morning with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with patience the race that is marked out for us. And the reason I start off with that verse is because I believe with all of my heart that one of the greatest sin issues that easily entangles us today. One of the greatest hindrances to the effectiveness of the church of Christ today is a topic we don't talk about very much. In fact, it's something that very few churches address, very few pastors preach on it, very few spiritual leaders adequately and effectively counsel on it, and way too many of our churches rank and file are deeply engaged in it. And I'm talking about sexual impurity, sexual sin. Here's what I want you to think about. In the midst of everything that's going on around us, the pandemic, the mandates, the changes in governmental leadership, the uncertainty of the future, I believe that these are tools that the enemy is using to divert our attention away from what really matters. I believe that these are issues that he is getting us to focus on, not just the current events, but our emotional responses to those events to draw us away from the, from the, the attacks that he's throwing at the church and, and, and we're missing it. And one of those major attacks is in the area of sexual purity. Let me take a moment. Let me share with you some staggering statistics. Uh, I, I want to start off our time here this morning by uh, talking about the role of the Internet in our everyday lives. Show of hands, how many of you would say, I use the Internet at least once a day, every day of the week? All right, how many of you would say, I use it multiple times a day? It's an integral part of our life, isn't it? Um, in 1993, 28 years ago, the Internet was first introduced to the general public. You believe that? We've had the Internet for over 28 years. For some of you, that's longer than you've been alive. And you have no clue what life is like without the Internet. Five years after its launch in 1998, there were already 14 million pages of pornography available on the Internet. 1998, 14 million 14 million pornographic pages. Over the years, that number has exponentially been increasing to the point where last year the number was in excess, and this is in your notes, the number is in excess of 2.5 billion pages of pornography available on the Internet today. Over 2.5 billion pages of porn. Google's the number one search engine in the world. They garner about 47, 48% of all search engine traffic. And uh, every year they release a usage report for the year prior. It's always an interesting study, especially for me and what I do, 
one of the things that they revealed that just blew my mind was last year they processed an average of 5.6 billion searches for stuff all over the, the, the gambit, all over the spectrum. 5.6 billion searches every day of the year last year. I, I can't wrap my brain around that. that. That number just blows my mind. But the next statistic I want to share with you breaks my heart. Because, because what Google revealed is, and this is the next point in your notes, what Google revealed is that of that 5.6 billion searches, one in every five was for pornography. One in every five was for pornography. So Google reported that. At, and I did the numbers, and let's, let's approach it this way. I, I, I tracked the numbers, and this is what it boils down to. They averaged 12,600 individual specific searches for pornography every second of every day of the year last year. Let that sink in. 12,000 searches, 12,000 searches, 12,000 searches. 12,600 individual searches for pornography every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of the year. 12,600 individual searches every second. In the 20 seconds it took me to do that illustration, there were already 252,000 searches for porn that was just conducted. Can anybody say, Houston, we have a problem? Let's talk for a moment about what I call the pervasiveness of porn in the pew. Listen to these statistics very carefully. A couple years ago, uh, some major league hitters in the Christian industry, the Christian world, um, teamed together George Barna Group, the uh, Josh McDowell Ministries, and Covenant Eyes. All teamed together, and they conducted a national intensive, massive survey of professing Christians. The results were produced in this book that I'm holding in my hand called The Porn Phenomenon. Very interesting read, uh, especially if you're into graphs and pie charts and all that kind of stuff. But, but let me share with you just a couple of the statistics that came out of that report. This is in your notes. Over 70% of Christian men admitted that they view pornography on a monthly basis. Seven out of every 10 admitted that they look at porn on a monthly basis. In your notes, we have the next point. Over 33% of Christian women admit that they view porn on a regular basis. Now, what, what we need to understand, this is not just a guy's thing. This isn't something that just men are struggling with. Ladies are battling with this too. It's across the board. And, and, and you know, I've, I've had people give me the argument that says, you know, but Steve, you, you said the survey was done of professing Christians. Define for me Christian. Because I'm sure that those numbers are much lower in our fundamental Bible-believing, God-fearing churches like ours. Well, I'm not so sure that that argument holds water, but let's assume for just a moment that you're right. Let's assume for argument's sake that instead of being 70% of Christian men in the church, it's only 40%. Let's assume that it's only 4 out of every 10 men. Instead of 33% of Christian women in the church, let's assume it's only it's 20. It's 2 out of every 10 women in the church that are struggling with this. Here's my question. Does that lessen the severity of the issue? What do you think? No, it does not. It's in the church. It's in the pew. Now, now so that I don't get nasty emails later on, you can send them all to Pastor Chris. <laughs> but but let, let, let me clarify something. Let me make sure you understand what I'm not saying. I am not saying that seven out of every ten men in the church are addicted to porn. I'm not saying that, that, that three out of every ten women in the church are sexually immoral. Here's what I am saying. I'm saying that a growing number, an increasing number of godly men and godly women in our churches today are struggling with this issue, and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to deal with it. And, and the thing that frustrates me, the thing that saddens me, the thing that angers me, the thing that drives my feet out of the bed every morning and into my office and doing what I've done for the last 10 years is this, that the church at large isn't addressing it. The church at large, large is, is ignoring it. They're, they're sweeping it under the rug. And, and one of the biggest reasons why is this next statistic I want to share with you. It's devastating. This is in your notes. 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors admit that they're struggling with pornography. 
And by the way, these numbers that I'm sharing with you, these percentages, these statistics, are just those that are admitting it. And I want to submit to you that I personally believe that those numbers are actually shockingly much higher than what I'm sharing with you. But the fact is that this issue that we're talking about this morning is destroying hearts, it's messing with marriages, it's fracturing families, it's infiltrating the church. And my goal for us this morning is not to show you how to put a Band-Aid on a gaping, open, profusely bleeding wound. You've got to deal with the wound before you can put a Band-Aid on it. A Band-Aid isn't going to help. So as I said a moment ago, I'm not here to talk with you about the problem, but I want to start the discussion going, because we're not going to do it in, in 30 minutes, but we're going to start the discussion going on what's the solution. What can we as a body of believers, what can we as a church do? So to that end, let me point out something that should be obvious to you. It's the next point in your notes. Our approach to this problem, our strategy must always be 100% biblical. It needs to be built and based completely off of God's Word. Can I get an amen? In Psalm 119, verse 9, David asks this question, How can a man, how can a woman keep themselves pure? That's a question I'm asked almost every day of the week. How can I be pure? How can I help my child? How can I help my spouse? How can I help my family member? How can I help my neighbor, my coworker, my friend, my brother or sister at church? How can I help them be pure? Well, fortunately, David doesn't leave us hanging. He finishes the sentence and answers the question by succinctly saying, by living according to the Word of God. How do I keep myself pure? It's by the Word of God. It's by being in the Word of God, filling my mind with the Word of God, living in obedience to the Word of God. In John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus said this, You will know the truth, and the truth will what? The truth will set you free. And if there's any question in your mind as far as what he's referring to, he says in John 14, verse 6, I am the truth. Specifically, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one experiences freedom except through me, the truth. In fact, he says in John chapter 8, verse 36, that if the Son sets you free, you shall be free what? Indeed. You shall be free indeed. So that's why the solution is not a 12-step program. The solution is not eight principles or five keys to living in sexual purity. It's not about do this, do this, stop doing this, and you're going to be good. It's about discovering how to know God better through God's Word. It's learning how to draw closer in your walk with God. How to, as James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil and watch him flee from you. Let me share with you a key thought, and this is in your notes. Satan knows that if he can impress your thinking, he'll impact your living. If he can impress your thinking, he's going to impact your living. You see, the enemy is after your mind. He doesn't care about going after your behavior. He wants your mind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, a verse worth studying, a verse worth putting some attention to, Paul says, I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, somehow your mind will be led astray from the sincere and pure devotion that is in Christ. Satan's target is your mind. That's why one of the verses I recommend for memorization is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. See, 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says we demolish arguments and every lofty opinion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and make each thought obedient to Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. So I've got a question for you. I'd like you to respond out loud. Here it is. According to 2 Corinthians 10, 5, how many thoughts am I to take captive? What's the answer? Every. Another word for every is? And all means? All, and that's all all means. I'm to take captive every thought. All right, now I've got a question for you. Let's, let's have a little fun with this one. Respond out loud to me. Here, here's my question. How many thoughts do you think in any given day? Two? Oh, too many. Safe to say a lot? Here's my next question. Again, respond out loud. How many of those thoughts should glorify God? All of them, every one of them. And all means all, and that's all, all means. But let's be honest. Think this through with me. Every thought, every moment, 
of every day is to be made captive and, and made obedient to Christ. Every thought, every moment, every day. How many of you are sitting here thinking that's not possible? I can strive for it, but <laughs> not every thought, every moment of every day, not possible. I want to submit to you that that's a lie from the enemy. You see, here's, here's why I say that. 2 Corinthians 10.5 is written in the form of a command. Take captive every thought. Let me suggest, in fact, I'm going to submit, I'm going to emphatically state that God will never, never command you to do something that is impossible for you to do. If he did, he'd be setting you up to sin because 1 John 3, 4 says sin is the transgression of God's law. In James chapter 1, verses 13 through 16, God, it says that God will not tempt us to sin. So when the command is given in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 to take captive every thought, we can do it. Remember what Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I can do it. So a question I'm often asked is, how do I help someone who's struggling with sexual sin? How do I help my son? How do I help my daughter? How do I help my spouse? How do I help my best friend? How do I help my brother or sister in Christ, my, my coworker, my neighbor? They're struggling with it. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. Let's dive into that a little bit. Let's, let's first of all talk about what not to say. Let's talk about what not to do. I'm going to call it the four potential pitfalls of counseling someone struggling in sexual sin. So back to your notes again. Here's the first one. Don't tell them, just stop it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell them, come on, just, just stop it. Just, just don't do it anymore. I want to submit to you that when you tell them to just stop it, that's the equivalent of telling them to go out onto a train track and with their own power, their own strength, their own ability, prevent an oncoming freight train from going any further. It's going to bowl them over. By telling them to just stop it, you're placing the emphasis. Now, watch this now. You're placing the emphasis on their ability, or better, the lack thereof, to be able to control the problem. That's part of the issue. They've been trying to stop it. They've been trying to control it. And they can't. They have failed over and over and over and over again. And so when you tell them to just stop it, you're adding frustration on top of frustration. Pitfall number two is similar to pitfall number one. This is in your notes. Please, don't tell them. Try harder. You're not trying hard enough. Just you, you got to try harder. Again, you're putting the emphasis upon their behavior, upon their ability or lack thereof, to control or fix the problem. You see, telling them to try harder is just setting them up for failure because trying harder usually leads to falling harder. Pitfall number three. Actually, before we get to pitfall number three, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The key is not telling them to resist. The key is not telling them to try harder. The key, and this is the next point in your notes, is learning James 4, 7 to submit to God. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, to stand firm in the faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, to put on God's armor. And 1 Peter 5, 9, resist the enemy's advances. Now we get to pitfall number three. Number three is this, and this is in your notes. Don't fail to address the spiritual component. I like to put it this way. Don't put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. For some of you, it may take a moment or two to catch up. That's all right. We'll keep going. You'll, you'll get up, caught up in, in just a moment. To be, my point is this. Be careful that you're not putting all of the attention on the presenting problem. Don't focus so much on the addiction. Don't focus so much on the porn, on the masturbation, on the, on the affair, on the sexually acting out that you fail to address the core issue of their heart, their walk with God. Here's a fact, and I want, I want you to think about this. Let it sink in. This is the next point in your notes. You cannot change the behavior until you first change the heart. You cannot change the behavior until you first change the heart. Oh, we can address the behavior. But that's putting on the Band-Aid. We, we can help them make some changes and some adjustments, and they'll do it, and for a little bit, things will go well. But if you haven't addressed the heart, they're going to fall right back into the old patterns again. So we need to make sure that we address the spiritual component, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But pitfall number four, 
is the flip side of pitfall number three. Don't put so much emphasis upon the spiritual that you fail to address the physiological. Now, if you struggle with how to spell physiological, write it out this way, F-L-E-S-H. It's the same thing. We're, we're dealing with the flesh here. You, you want to make sure that you're not just putting so much emphasis on the spiritual that you fail to address the flesh. There's two sides to this battle. There's the spiritual and there's the physiological. And we need to make sure we're addressing them both. Both. You see, folks, too often we tend to focus all of our attention on the, on the need to grow in their walk with God. Now, I'm not negating that. I'm not lessening that. In fact, that is vital. That is critical. This is spiritual warfare we're talking about. But we must also help our counseling understand the truth of Galatians 5.17. See, in Galatians 5.17, Paul said, the flesh is in conflict with the spirit. And the spirit is in conflict with the flesh. They're contrary to each other. They're against each other so that you cannot do the things that you would. So there's a question I'm going to put out here, and I want you to make a mental note of it. I'll try to remind you at the end of my time here because when you have your, your discussion time, I want you to talk about this. So here's the question I want you to think about. Why do we so readily turn to those things that we know are sinful? Why do we so quickly go back to the things we know that are wrong? They're destructive. They're damaging. We know better. We know that that's not what God wants us to do, but we keep going back to it. And that's a point of discussion I want you to have at your tables in a, in a few moments. Why do we keep going back to it? All right, so we're talking about the physiological component. Let me talk with you about what I call the hormonal cocktail of porn. Um, in the back of your handouts, you don't have to go there now, but in the back of your handouts, there's a document entitled the, the Hormonal Cocktail, and it's going to talk about the hormones in much more detail than what I'm going to talk about right now. But here's what I want you to understand. When God designed this, God created this, so this is, this is divinely ordained, that there are hormones, eight in fact, that are released when sexually aroused. Any type of sexual arousal, these eight hormones are released. They're dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, encephalons, endorphins, oxytocin, vasopressin, and delta-phosphine. And guess what, guys? We get the privilege of having a ninth one. It's called testosterone. And here's why I'm bringing this up. When all eight are released at the same moment, which, again, God designed this to happen, and he designed it to happen when there's sexual relations between a husband and a wife. Am I clear on that? Between a husband and a wife, no, nothing else, uh, no one outside of the marriage, not, not whether it's in real life or digitally. God designed it for a husband and a wife that when all eight hormones are released, or for us guys, nine, this is the next point in your notes, the effect upon the human brain is more powerful than morphine. That's what we struggle with when we're, when we're addicted to this stuff. One of the things I like to say is this. An alcoholic is not addicted to the bottle. A heroin addict is not addicted to the needle. Those are the tools. Those are the instruments that deliver the drug. When we're struggling with sexual sin, we're not addicted to the sex. We're not addicted to the porn. We're not addicted to the masturbation. We're not addicted to the sexually acting out to the affair. Those, that's the needle, if you will, that delivers the drug. It's the hormones that we become addicted to. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the real danger here with these hormones, the real danger that we, we need to make sure we understand and we address when we're trying to help someone is not just that, that they make me feel good. I get a pop, I get a rush when I do this. But the danger is that, that at least six, if not seven of those hormones have what's called a bonding agent associated with them. Let me clarify and explain simply this. It's, what it means is this, when those hormones are released, and you get the feel-good moment. The brain is saying, well, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I liked that. What caused that? And the bonding agent says, okay, this activity, this action, this lust, this porn, this masturbation, this affair, whatever the sexual acting out is, that's what caused it. So the bonding agent creates an indelible imprint upon the brain, a muscle memory, if you will. So the next time you face a trigger point, stress, frustration, anger, worry, anxiety, fear, loneliness, boredom, whatever it is in the brain is saying, oh, I need to feel good. I don't like where, where I'm at right now. Wait a minute. I remember the last time I, I felt good. 
And so I'm going to go back to the scene of the crime, and I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And every time I exercise that free will and I go back to that, that choice, the hormones are released once again. I get the pop. I get the rush. I get the high. And the bonding agent is making itself permanently attached to that muscle memory. And so what really is happening is there's a physiological dependency that is being caused. And, and the thing about this cycle of addiction, and there's the, that's another document you should have attached to your, to your handout, is a thing called the cycle of addiction. The thing about this cycle of addiction that is scary to me is that instead of fleeing the activity that's causing the guilt, that's causing the shame, instead of running away from the thing that's destroying my life and my marriage and my family and my friendships, the thing that is separating me from God, instead of running as far away as I can from that, I willingly choose to go back to it again and again and again. Isn't that the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. I recently had a counselee sitting in my office. We were talking about this very thing, and, and his response to me was, Steve, I know, I know that God does not approve of what I'm doing. I, I know it's sin. You don't have to tell me. I know it's sin. But to be honest with you, I just don't care. I need this. I have to have this. You, you, you don't understand. I can't function without this. Then he looked me square in the eyes and he said, I'm just going to take my chances with God. And he got up and he walked out of my office. The thing that saddens me most about that story is the man that said that to me was a pastor who was deeply entrenched in his sin. I remember just a few months ago, I had another counselee sitting in my office weeping. And he said, I know it's wrong. I hate the man I'm becoming. I despise the man that, that, that I see in the mirror. My wife has told me she's done. She's leaving me. She's taking the kids. But I just can't help myself. I, I can't stop. And then he looks at me between his, his tears, and he goes like this, puts his hands out, shrugs, and he says, I don't know. Maybe I'll be better off when she leaves. Really? How do we get to that point? How, 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 how does that happen? In your notes, I have a quote from uh, Henry David Thoreau. It's a great quote. It says this, Just as a single footstep would not make a path on the earth, so a single thought will not make a pathway in the mind. To make a deep physical path, we walk it again and again and again. To make a deep mental path, we must think over and over and over the thoughts that will eventually dominate our lives. Folks, that's why I emphasize Satan is after your mind. He wants to attack your mind with his lies. And it's important that you understand because Satan knows this, and this is the next point in your notes. He knows that what you think will become what you do. What you think will become what you do. That's why we need to learn 2 Corinthians 10.5 to take captive every thought. Colossians 3.2 to set my mind on things above, not on earthly things. Romans 12, 2, to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to submit, and this is the next point in your notes, that the main reason why we fail in our battle for purity is because we have not addressed the core issue of our heart. Proverbs 4, 23, if you don't have it memorized, please make sure you memorize it this week. Proverbs 4, 23 starts off by saying, above all else. Everybody say, above all else. It says, above all else, guard your heart. Everybody say, guard my heart. For out of it spring the issues of life. That word heart in the Hebrew is the word that refers to the place where thinking and decision-making occurs. In other words, it's your mind. And so the, the creator of the universe, the savior of our soul, the redeemer, our, our heavenly father is saying, Above all else. In fact, you know what those words above all else literally translate over to from the Hebrew? Above all else. In other words, nothing is more important than this. Nothing's more important than what? Nothing is more important than guarding your heart, protecting your mind, because what you think becomes what you do. How do I guard my mind? How do I guard my heart? How do I protect that vital organ that, that Satan is, is attacking that he's after. John 17, 17, Jesus said, sanctify them 
through the truth. Your word is truth. Psalm 19, verse 7, God's word makes the simple wise. The entire 119th Psalm is all about God's word keeping us from sin. Hebrews 4, 12, the word of God discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God's word teaches, it corrects, it trains, it equips us in how to live in righteousness. So you see, folks, when I'm hiding God's word in my heart, when I'm filling my mind with God's truth, I'm not going to sin against him. Many, many, many years ago, seems like a lifetime ago, I tried my hand at being a bank teller. Notice my emphasis on the verb tried. Uh, I, I was there as a bank teller for about three months, I think, was my, the duration of my career. Um, I balanced twice, maybe, in those three months. I was always off by a couple of pennies, but banks tend to frown on that. <laughs> but, but here's why I'm bringing this up. When I was being trained to be a bank teller, um, it was a week's long worth of training. I don't remember any of the training except for this one thing. We had just taken a break, came back from the break, and the lady training me was sitting at the table already, and there were two $5 bills sitting in front of her. She was holding on to stopwatch. I sat down, and she said, okay, you have 10 seconds to tell me which one of these is a counterfeit. Go. Do you realize how fast 10, 10 seconds go? I, I grabbed those dollar bills, those $5 bills, and I felt them. I crinkled them. I held them up to the light. I sniffed them. I did everything I could think of to try and determine which one. To, to her credit, she didn't laugh. She didn't snort and roll her eyes or anything. 10 seconds were up. She said, okay, which one's the counterfeit? I said, I have absolutely no clue. So she says, asked me this, this question. She said, would you like to know how to instantly identify a counterfeit? Well, what am I going to do? Am I going to say no? <laughs> yes, of course, I would like to identify, instantly identify a counterfeit. So here's what she did. She put her finger on one of those $5 bills, pushed it closer to me, pulled the other one back to her, and here's what she said. To instantly identify a counterfeit, become intimately familiar with the real thing. Now, she's talking about money. But there's a key here that I want you to understand. This is the next point in your notes. To instantly identify the lie of Satan. Folks, you need to become intimately familiar with the real thing, with the truth, and nothing but the truth. In other words, know God's Word. How do I help a child? How do I help a spouse? How do I help a, a friend or a neighbor or coworker or brother or sister in Christ? Take them into the Word. The Word the cleansing power of the Word of God is, is where you need to start. If you lose your notes between here and home, if, if you forget everything we talked about here, the next point that I want to bring out is the most important, most critical piece of this entire workshop. So listen very carefully. The problem that we're struggling with, the problem that your child, your spouse, or whoever you know that's battling with this, the problem is not lust. It is not pornography. It is not masturbation. It is not the affair. It is not sexually acting out. Folks, that's the byproduct of the real problem. In your notes, we have this next point. The real problem that every one of us struggle with is a worship disorder. Who's sitting on the throne of my heart? I do what I do because in my heart, I want what I want. In your notes, I have this next point that when King Me, and you're going to hear me use the phrase King Me a lot from this point forward, when King Me is sitting on the throne of my heart, three things happen simultaneously. Number one, I am going to worship King Me. Everything I think, everything I say, and everything I do is going to be focused around me because I have the mindset that says, I want, I need, I deserve, I desire, I have to have, I can't live without. <laughs> it's all about me. Me, 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 me. And the second thing that happens right along with it at the same moment, not only am I worshiping King Me, but I'm going to expect you to worship King Me. And by you, I don't just mean my spouse, my children, my family, my friends, my coworkers, my employees, my employers, my government, my technology, my church, the person driving in front of me or the person driving behind, I expect everybody to worship me because I'm the king. In fact, in James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, great verse to write down and look up later, James asks the question, what's the cause of fighting and quarreling among you? And then he answers, it's from right here. 
It's from within. You desire, you want to have, but you're not getting. So you bite and you devour and you kill. And you're still not getting. And so you press harder and harder and harder. King me is on the throne of your heart. But not only will you worship King me, not only will you expect everyone and everything else to worship King me, but number three, you're going to expect God to worship King me. Now, I realize that more than likely you're not going to actually say that out loud, but your actions and your attitudes may betray that thought. Because you may be saying, okay, God, I'm reading my Bible, I'm going to church, I'm praying, I'm putting money in the offering plate, I'm being kind to my wife and my kids, I'm, I'm doing everything you've asked me to do. God, you owe me. Why aren't you blessing me? What am I doing wrong that, that I'm not experiencing? God, I'm the king. You need to worship me. Another major key verse to memorize here and to be able to use as a tool to share with those who are struggling is Matthew 6, 24. In Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he's going to love the one and hate the other, he's going to cling to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both. Now, I want to give you a visual illustration, so I, I know we've got some, some obstacles in the way here. I'm going to stand back here. I, in order to do this, I need to use both hands, so I'm going to put down the microphone, and I'm going to get as loud as I possibly can so that you can hear me, so bear with me for a second. All right, can everybody hear me? I want to put my hands out in front of me like this, okay? And I want you to use your imagination to pretend that I'm holding a large rubber ball in my left hand. And imprinted across the front of that rubber ball are the words, King Me. All right, so I'm holding King Me in my left hand. In my right hand, I'm also holding a large rubber ball. Emblazoned across the front of that ball is the name God. You tracking with me? So I'm holding King Me in my left hand, I'm holding God in my right hand. One of the lies from the pit of hell the enemy whispers into your mind is that you're going through every day doing a juggling act between me and God, me and God, me and God. I, I, I tend to make it more about me than I do about God. I need to make it more about God than I do about me, but that's my battle. That's my struggle every day is between me and God, me and God. Again, I want to submit that's a lie from the pit of hell. Let me illustrate it this way. I'm going to stick my arms out to either side. Imagine with me for just a moment that my, my hands are in a locked position. They cannot move. So I've got a question for you. Please respond out loud. Here's my question. If I want to see my left hand, what must I do? I need to turn my head to the left. Okay, now watch this carefully. The very moment I turn my head to the left, I'm turning my head away from the right. It's an automatic thing. If I want to see my right hand, I have to turn away from the left and look to the right. All right, you tracking with me? So in my left hand, I'm holding King Me. In my right hand, I'm holding God. Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said this, you cannot serve two masters. Now watch this. Either you're going to love the one, and by virtue of loving King Me, I'm hating the other. I've turned my back on God. Or I'm going to cling to the one, I'm going to be devoted to the one, I'm going to put God on the throne of my heart, and I'm going to despise King me. I cannot serve both. Does that make sense? So Matthew 6, 24 is a very powerful, very important verse to hold on to and understand. And as you're trying to explain the battle, the struggle, the physiological and the spiritual, there's a great tool to be able to use. I have another question for you. I'd like you to respond out loud again. Here's my question. <laughs> Think about this for a moment. Is living for King me evil? Is being self-centered wicked? All right, before you answer, let's look at, verse, uh, at the next point in your notes, James chapter 3, verse 16. It says, where you have selfish ambition. In other words, where King me is sitting on the throne of your heart, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. James 3.16. So living for King me is evil. Let me explain to you why. Here's my next question. I do want you to respond out loud on this one. I know the answer is fairly obvious, but here's my question. Are you God? No, you're not. Praise God for that. And I'm not either. But here's what I want you to understand, and this is the next point in your notes. When you are choosing King Me 
you are choosing to worship a false god, and that is idolatry. When King Me is sitting on the throne of your heart, you're being selfish, you're being self-centered. You are worshiping a false god, and that is idolatry. Let me wrap up my time here with these thoughts. The primary reason that we struggle with our sinful habits, whatever it may be, we've kind of been focusing on sexual sin, but really any sin issue, anything you're struggling with, the reason that you're struggling so much with that sinful habit is because you've been worshiping the wrong God. You've had the wrong king sitting on the throne of your heart. And that is why, and this is the next point in your notes, it is so vital that you choose daily to deny yourself, to die to yourself, to dethrone King Me, to surrender and fully yield to God. James 4, 7 is a powerful verse, folks. It says this, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Did you realize, do you know or understand that the word and is not in that verse? It does not say, Submit yourself to God and resist the devil. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. I want to submit to you that's one fluid motion. That when you choose to submit to God, you have chosen to resist the enemy. It's not and. It's, it's the same thing. Submit to God. Choose to be surrendered completely over to Him in every aspect of your life. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? I want to close with this particular thought. This is, this is actually something I'd, I'd challenge you to memorize. I, I love using this with, with my counselees. It goes like this. It's in your notes. Only two choices can there be, pleasing God or pleasing me. Only two choices can there be, pleasing God or pleasing me. All right, now there's going to be some question time going on. I, I want to remind you of the question I want you to try to address. The question is this, why do we keep going back to the same sin again and again and again? When we know it's wrong, we know it's evil, we know it's hurting our relationship with God, we know it's hurting our spouse, we know it's hurting our family, why do we keep going back to it again and again? Okay, we're going to bring it back here for a moment. Uh, For those listening to the audio, this is Chris Knight and uh, Steve Etner. And Angie Brenneman, who are going to have a quick uh, little Q and A. Let me let me again help you remember. Uh, we have about fifteen minutes or so, so we're only going to start start scratching the, the surface of a few questions that have come in, uh, as well as questions that we have that we'd like to talk about uh, further. So let me draw your attention to the podcast. Don't forget to to listen to podcasts. We will unpack some of these even further in the podcast uh, that'll be recorded later this week. Steve, here's a question. I sit here and wrestle with as I. As I'm listening, first of all, thank you. Uh, well done. Uh, you. I'm sitting here wrestling with this. You know, in, in the church world, in, in the world, we have elevated certain sins and called them horrible. And in other sins, we've been pretty passive and go, ah, you know what? Everybody struggles with that. You know, if you look at your statistics, 70% and 33%, 70% of men, 33% of women struggle in this area. Yet the, the community of believers has done a horrible job of dealing with this because of shame. Shame, you know, if somebody was to come and say, hey, I'm struggling in this area, it would be a lot easier to come and say, I'm struggling with a food addiction. And people would be like, oh, that's all right. Let's talk about it. Somebody comes and says, I'm start struggling with a sexual addiction. addiction. Typically, in church settings, we remove somebody from a church, or we we cast them out or shame them in such a way as to do that. So we've never created a culture that says, can I be honest with what I'm struggling with and find hope instead of hurt? I'm not expecting you to have the magic bullet answer, but how do we get to the point we start having those kinds of conversations to really win the day? Really good question. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. A very short response, which really deserves a long answer, but a very short response is really just start talking. Just just start talking. And, and not to put pressure on you, Pastor, but um, from a church perspective, it starts in the pulpit. 
when when we start having frank discussions and just start talking about the reality of life and we begin to communicate with the church family this is this is a safe place this is open we can talk about this because the pastor is talking about this because we as a church i mean th this is good that you're doing this here and and my prayer is that it's not just a one and done type thing but that you maintain that you continue this um, this discussion, this topic. In the, in the household, as far as how to prevent the shame from, you know, a child who's struggling, um, have those conversations. Um, I battled for 30 years with the, with the addiction. Uh, my kids knew something was going on, but I kept it hidden from them. Um, I'm wishing I hadn't. I think that what, what could have been a whole lot better in our family was if I had had some frank discussions because my boys became uh, addicts as well. And it uh, wasn't until uh, just a few years ago that we started really being honest and open with each other and saw some great victories. So, but just, just having that, that honest communication, you, you know, you also talked about shame. Um, one of the reasons why we feel shame is because King Me is sitting on the throne of my heart. I, I don't like how I feel. I don't like what's going on. I don't, you know, I, I'm uncomfortable right now, so let's just, let's bury it, let's ignore it, let's kind of forget about it and move forward. Psalm 34, verse 5 is a very powerful verse. It says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces will never be covered with shame. The key to, to having victory over the shame is very simple. Put your eyes on Christ. Keep your focus on him. Right. I got a ton of questions, so I'll let you jump in. Well, I want to ask one that came um, through the text messages, and um, we're going to talk a little bit about um, some accountability and opportunity to um, stay accountable to others. But how can we keep accountable to accountability groups? This is a big deal. How, you know, let's say we develop this open conversation, this open discussion. How can that help us, and um, where can we go with that? With that, if we were in rehab for a medical issue, it would be required to, to be in rehab. How can we get the same results on men's and women's accountability here in the church? I, th I think that part of it is understanding what accountability is. Um, if we see accountability as shame-based, fear-driven stuff, you know, if I, if I open up, then somebody's going to be in my face and confronting me. I don't like confrontation, so I'm going to try my best to avoid it. But if I see accountability... As I'm going to someone, they're encouraging me. They're, they're uplifting me. They're building me up. Yes, we're going to talk about the sin. Why did you do it? What was going on inside your head? How can I help you? How can I be praying for you? Um, as opposed to don't do it again. Uh, just, just, again, having those, those calm, fine, um, focused, God-oriented conversations. And then don't wait until next week for the next accountability meeting. If someone has shared something with you, the next day, call them up, send them a text, send them a verse of encouragement. Hey, I'm praying for you. How are you doing? And, and mean it. Don't just do it. Mean it that you've actually been praying for them. Chris, we would say this word in our, um, our DNA here, it's all about discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Steve, I want to come back to, a, to the topic of a little bit of shame, I guess. So we just uh, sat through this hour and... You gave us some good things to think about, and I'm still stuck on those percentages. So uh, let's say because the uh, the statistics obviously tell us men are more addicted than women, but it's growing in women. Uh, at least the knowledge uh, of this is growing. So somebody sits here today and says, I'm sick of dealing with this. I need to talk to my spouse about it, but I don't know how I could ever talk to my spouse about this topic because uh, they will react one way or the other, uh, and, and it's, it's damaging. I looked at your statistics again on pastors. You know, I get to work with a lot of pastors, and one of the things is we've, we've created an environment where pastors don't have a safe place or freedom to be able to share because we say, man, if that's ever found out, you'll lose your job. You gotta, that's going to impact your family. You have to move. You have to do with all these things. But we can never openly dialogue about this. So how in the family, you know, I, I'd love to ask you something about helping pastors another day, but uh, how in the family do we actually have an open conversation? Talk to the spouse for a second. Of somebody who is who is who is wanting to be able to say, I need this to come to light, but I don't know how you're going to react. Will you stay with me? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a lot of. I just garbled on about a whole bunch of stuff, but those are those are real things that I think is holding us back from bringing to light the struggle. That's true, and um, 
I think you've, you've hit on it, Pastor, a very important piece of all this, and it's the spouse. And, and my fear for so many years was if, if my wife knew, if she, if she knew that the marriage would be over, if she knew, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and what I think, I, I'm trying to take 90,000 thoughts and put it into one. Um, to the spouse, I would say this. The very first thing that you need to do, is make sure you talk with God about it before you're, you're ever saying to your spouse, you can talk with me. Make sure you talk with God about it. Re release your fears to the Heavenly Father. Realize that He is in control. He is the sovereign one who is, has got His hand involved in everything and that all things do work together for good, Romans 8, 28. And then be willing to say to your spouse, I'm here. This, this is a safe place. Yes, I realize that whatever you share with me might hurt and I might want to react. Don't react. Walk away for a moment. Get back to, you know, say, all right, I, you, you've just dumped a whole load on me here. I need some time to process. And, and go to your room and pray. Drop to your knees. But say, Father in heaven, I need your help. Help me to be you to my spouse right now because he just or she just revealed something to me that hurts. And my king me reaction is wrong. So, so um, when, when my wife found out, one of the first things she did was she dove to her knees in prayer and opened her Bible, and she invested a ton of time in the Word of God, and that made a world of difference to me. That, that helped me tremendously. One of the questions that came in is, um, how do we set some guardrails, some, some things up in our lives? And I want you to approach this from a parent's um, perspective, because we um, know that the first um, exposure to pornography often comes at, what, eight to ten, eight years old. You know, I have a, a junior hire, um, a couple junior hires, a high school student. You know, you send them on a bus. You send them in to school. You don't know. We don't control the other um, kids <laughs> and what they carry with them in the app and all the stuff that can happen. What is one way that we can begin to, as parents, um, really, I guess you could say, even equip our children for what um, is out there? I, th I think the, the key, first of all, is to have open dialogue, continuous conversation. It's not a, we just had the birds and the bees talk. Now we're good. No. I mean, that's, that's the way I grew up. It doesn't work. To have an ongoing conversation, to be able to say, you know, there's stuff out there, and, and start talking about it, and, and just say to your, your, your son or your daughter, you know, if you see this, it, it's okay to come to me and to, and to talk about it. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to yell at you. I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm going to help you. The other thing is to keep putting them into the Word of God. Fill their minds with Scripture. Teach them how to study the Word of God. Teach them how to have devotions and prayer time. And uh, encourage their walk with God. Um, I, again, the 90 thoughts and, and trying to focus it into one thing. Mm -hmm. I have nothing else to say. I mean, I do, <laughs> but I'm looking at the clock, and I just realize I'm just going to ask a long question that's probably going to get a long well, answer, so okay. we'll tackle some of these things on yeah, the podcast. Yeah, we will. Um, okay, so um, you said you can't change the behavior until you first change the heart, and I, I just want maybe a, um, a perspective of what that looks like when you're walking with somebody from the person beside you. When you said you can't change that person, how could um, somebody walking with someone um, really like help that person? What is, I know you said don't say stop it, but you kind of, you know, grazed over a few things. What is one thing you saw in these last um, years of your ministry that has really been essential when you're um, walking with someone going through this? James chapter 1, I can't remember the verse right now, verse 5, verse 8, somewhere in there. It says, if you lack wisdom, ask God, and he gives. And believe me, he gives abundantly. Matthew twelve thirty four says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So a lot of it is just saying, Lord, give me wisdom to hear what their heart is saying. Help me to understand what their heart is saying. And then please fill my heart so that you're speaking through me to them and that they'll be receptive to it. So um, we have actually been prepared a little bit for this morning in a, in a way that has offered, I guess you could say, a response. And so I'm going to ask Dan to come up, and he's going to share a little bit um, what we're doing. Because, you know, I think Steve would say this, too. This is something that all, a lot of times it requires men 
to um, come into relationship with other men in um, the form of accountability and women as well. So um, I'm going to ask you if you have your app, you can open it up. There's two um, colors under the uh, events tab in your app. There's uh, two colors of the word home, and there's one that says men and one that says women. And we've done that on purpose, and I'm going to let Dan share a little bit about that. So on that, we wanted to give uh, you the opportunity to have a, a confidential um, contact with, with someone who can reach out to you on this issue. And so all you have to do is, is tap on that, men or women, and put some information into that, and that will be confidential to one person, and they can contact you the way you would like to be contacted um, with the information given. On another note, <clears throat> I wanted to share with you real quickly in my life what has what made a huge impact uh, for me was 20 years ago when I went into ministry, uh, got married, went into ministry, moved 300 miles away, and uh, in all that change, we uh, I had the opportunity to come into a men's group with two deacons, the senior pastor, um, and they welcomed me into their men's group to where they were completely open on the challenges that they were facing in their lives. And these guys were 20 years older than me, but I was still in my first year of marriage. <laughs> but I got to hear them be completely open on the challenges that they were facing and see how um, God uses men to fulfill the, what the scripture says of iron sharpening iron. And so if you are here today and you're saying, you know what, I, I know that I am not where I wanted to be at this age in a lot of areas of my life. As we go through this at-home series, I, I, I would think there's probably going to be some fr frustration. I'm not the man in a lot of these areas that I wanted to be. But I can be on that road or that journey if I can be in relationship with other men who will be open and encouraging and supportive and accountable, um, both in the good times, as well as the challenging times, as well as the disappointing times. And I believe the church is to be the community of, of uh, the bride of Christ, the community of God, where we come together and we fulfill that. And so we want to start getting this a lot more intentional. And so if you want to be a part of a men's group we just ask you, you can, you can get onto the website, but we can also email rwhitmer at walkemc, and that will go to Rich, and he's, we're all going to be working on that together to get these up and going, get these started. And I just want to encourage you, just take one step. Just take one step. That's all, we're, that's all God is asking us to do is to take the one step that is ahead of us and to be faithful and obedient to do that. So before you leave here today, that's the question for you. Lord, what step do you want me to take today? Is that simple? I think we can all do that and yes. be obedient. So um, in the app, the block that says men, that is directly going to Rich. So Rich will follow up with you. You can um, touch that. You can fill it out. It will go directly to Rich. And as Dan said, you can also email him at rwitmerwit. M-E-R at walkiemc.org. And then the other one, the white, comes to me. And so as women, we all know that um, a community of believers is really essential to um, living, walking with Jesus. And so there's a lot of opportunity um, and relationships out there. And um, that is uh, that information will come to me. And then I want to finish with uh, Steve. I want you to share a little bit about what you have and what you do and what you've written and available to those that are out sure. here. Um, first and foremost, I encourage you, talk to Pastor, go to Rich, go, go to, to Angie. And, and, and seek that help, seek that. But if you look for, if you want to talk with someone who's been there, who understands the battle, um, and who can coach you through it, um, my contact information is there in your notes. Um, I think, uh, yeah, we're putting it up on the screen as well. Uh, I have brought with me, I've written five books. I brought three of them with me. Uh, like just really quick, I know you need to get out of here, so let me just really quick give it a little sales pitch, if I may. Um, extreme Mind Makeover, How to Transform Your Sinful Thoughts and Habits into Patterns of Life that are Pleasing to God. The book is focused on your thought process, 
on 2 Corinthians 10.5. How do I take captive those thoughts? How do I make them obedient to Christ? The second book that I brought that I've written is entitled Removing the Eye from Life, How to Dethrone King Me. Uh, it's an interactive study. There's a lot of, of uh, questions to ask and answer and verses to write out. And um, it's, it's a great tool for accountability groups. And then if you're struggling with sexual temptation yourself personally or you know you're working with someone who is, I've written a five-week devotional. It's called The Pure Man's Devotional Guide, a Biblical Toolbox for Purity. This tiny little book has over 700 passages of Scripture in it. It, it's a, a seven-day-a-week for five weeks devotional that just gets you deep into the Word of God. I've brought them with me. I've got a limited supply. They're $10 each. A special sale today, only three for 30 <laughs> Would you guys all thank Steve for being here with us this, this morning? Hey, let's stand together. Will you, will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the opportunity we've had to spend some time as a family this morning. God, I pray you continue to work in our family, strengthen our family. God, help our family to deal with tough stuff. God, help us to create a safe place where we can deal with the tough stuff. God, help us be honest before you, but honest before man. God, we pray that as this topic, just like the topic Andy Collins talked about, just like technology, addiction, uh, health and wellness, God, anxiety, everything is looking to fill a void. We're filling the void with wrong stuff. God, would you help us take the void that is in our lives and fill it with you? God, help us to find people to walk on this journey with. God, I pray that you'd bring people into our path. God, use this ministry, this church the churches around us, God, to make a difference for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.